0: All was good for about the first three and a half years. But after that, as a leader, I started to feel a lot of pressure. Somebody would legitimately say, hey, Brian, how are you doing? I would respond with how the organization's doing. That was easier. But not only that, people expected me to tell them how the organization was doing, not just how I was doing.
1: Ministry lead Brian Krieger worked hard. He was doing the Lord's work. And in retrospect, he didn't realize he was slipping into a vulnerable state. He's the author of the book, The Courageous Ass*. And Michael Martin sits down with Brian to discuss his reflections on how a leader finds support from his board, from his friends, from his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe this conversation will spur the questions that you need to be asking of those around you, and maybe being open to the questions that need to be asked of you
0: and I told them what was going on. But there was one gentleman, a former missionary, who was on our board, who looked at me and said, you know, he did just like this. It's like he's sitting right in front of me, he just went, Brian, what part of what you described here today was our part? What did we do to contribute to what you described here today?
2: Brian Krieger. Hey, thanks for stopping by the ECFA podcast. How are you today?
0: Hey, I'm doing great, Mike. Man, I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about this topic. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Well, thank you for saying yes. As you know, we're in a series of conversations on the ECFA podcast, all aimed around healthy leadership, leadership integrity, Uh, seems to be a topic that so many leaders are leaning into. I know you have as well. And, you know, this is the behind the seal podcast, or we, you know, we go behind the scenes. And I will say, um, you know, for those who are listening, Brian, your book on the courageous ask, I'm gonna just hold it up here. Uh, for those that are watching on YouTube, let's see if I can get it in the shot. Um, not here to sell books, but I will say, Brian. So much of what you wrote uh, in the book on The Courageous Ask has been influential in my thinking and ECFAs, just about this whole area. You've been a great encouragement to us.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Michael. I, I what can I say? It's the blessings of God and using using a lot of junk, you know, that has uh, come together and just going down the roads that he leads you. And uh, so thank you so much for your, your comments. Um, and I do hope it uh, it has impacted lives. So so thank you. No, I know that it has. And yeah, thanks for being
2: part of the conversation today where we can just unpack some of the principles yeah. and things that you'd share uh, in this idea around the courageous ask. Um, <clears throat> you know, I know, Brian, for you, so maybe even just a quick introduction, too, for those who, who aren't familiar with you and your background. Uh, you are a former... Nonprofit uh, executive director, CEO, you've had a corporate background and experience as well. And today you're doing a lot of nonprofit leadership uh, coaching. But even this book, The Courageous Ask, you're not just wearing the hat of someone who's been a former nonprofit CEO before even a leadership coach. This whole message about The Courageous Ask, a proactive approach to prevent the fall of Christian nonprofit leaders, Brian this is much more to you right this is actually a personal message as well
0: yeah i it, it definitely is and i i kind of alluded to it a minute or two ago and just using junk and frankly it talks about my own junk i mean uh, so i i've been married 36 years i have two grown children three grandchildren um i spent most of my adult life um, running grocery stores i mean just just managing grocery stores i say just but it it's a it's a very demanding position, leadership position. Uh, probably, I think it was 2010, 11, a God started to talk to me uh, about some different things and about focusing my own personal ministry. I was involved in everything. I mean, if something was going on at the church or even in our local community and I wasn't involved, I was pretty offended. I mean, it was sinful, but I wanted to focus. So um, one thing led to another and uh, God called me to impact a particular neighborhood uh in our local city who is dealing with all of the the urban issues and challenges that most you know cities are um i had no experience but god called me to um, found a free clinic uh with another with another gentleman and uh, with a silent co-founder and uh, that's what i did i mean it, it was just nuts I, what did I know about running a free clinic? I mean, it was just crazy, but that's where the need was. And God showed me through noon whether it's reading books or going to conferences or talking to other local medical leaders, um, other Christian leaders in the, in the area, how are we going to impact this neighborhood, which was always the focus. because um, it was again, it was very it was struggling a lot. So uh, we went out and did that and raised the money. Uh, put a budget together. Uh, we had to do a renovation of a building to open it up. Uh, we did like a two hundred thousand dollar renovation, although we ended up doing it for like a hundred forty five, just because the Christian community all came around this, and the community in general, not just the com- the, the Christian community, because it was such a need. I mean, the local administration, the mayoral um, administration, and the whole city came behind it. Um, so it was it was just an amazing experience, and you know. Michael, there was, there was just miracle after miracle after miracle. And it, it just was God saying, look, man, I got this. Look, Brian, okay, you're limited, but 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 I can do this. So it was truly a step out in faith because none of it made any sense. I could just, honestly, I could spend the whole podcast just talking about miracles. Maybe another, you have another podcast at some point. But things that people were looking at me going, well, how did that happen? Well... Hey, you tell me. It's completely a God thing. So we opened up in 2012, January of 2012. And it was just me, uh, a a 20-hour clinical coordinator, and a couple very part-time volunteer providers. And over the next four years, we, we really grew. I mean, our budget quadrupled. I mean, every year it seemed to double. Um, we were, you know, we had to raise that money and we did it without government funding. That's very important. Uh, I took one grant for $6,000, which was like 0.4% of the whole amount of money raised. But uh, otherwise it was all privately funded. And uh, so we had uh, four or five employees. We were up to 15 providers. We had well over a thousand visits. Uh, I forget. I think we, yeah, we had about, no, it was, it was 2,500 visits, but we had a a thousand um, patients that we had served. So, I mean, it was growing tremendously and and the whole community was looking at it. and, And during that time, all was good for about the first three and a half years. But after that, as a leader, I started to feel a lot of pressure. Uh, mm. Raising the money. Yeah.
2: Can I you right there? Yeah. yeah. So, Brian, lots of, you, you started with, just to kind of summarize all that, so, you know, you start with a call of God, you're obedient to it, big dream, big passion, communities around it, things are growing, all looks well on the outside. That's exactly what I was going to ask you next is, what was going on the inside of you as a leader at the same time that all that was happening?
0: Well, all of a sudden I start to realize that people around me just did not understand the pressures of, of raising this amount of money and the pressures of human relationships and everybody's got an idea and, and it was, the, the pressure was just tremendous. I mean, I started to personally lose my identity and my focus in my own mind started to be started to shift because now remember how I told you about all the miracles that God was doing I mean it was unbelievable it was just like I was floating along and God was just you know helping me float along so all of a sudden I knew everything God God became this instead of this this entity or God that we were completely dependent upon became this guy I would call in the corner whenever I needed him, and and I can look back on that and say that, but at the time it didn't look like that at all. And the same thing happened with all of the other things that had gotten me there. My spiritual discipline started to struggle. My human relationships that and my accountability structures around me started to crumble, or they held less credibility in my mind. That's probably a better way of putting it. And All of a sudden, the the um, the loneliness and the isolation set in, and um, you know, going to rest. We would go out to restaurants, and just a a little story about my wife and I. We would go to restaurants, and of course, as the leader of a growing Christian nonprofit, I could never sit with my door, my back to the door, because I had to see who was coming in, what was going on around me, whose hand do I need to shake, what relationship do I need to strengthen, and all of a sudden my wife started to feel like um you know she was secondary to everything and and all of those things that built me up and strengthened me to put me in a position that god would call me to do such a thing started to become a blur in my peripheral vision
2: and, and, and when you said something real key too brian if i can also interject here a key statement i think what i heard you say is i was beginning to lose Myself, like I was losing the identity that I had as a
0: person, as a as an individual leader. Can you unpack that a little bit? Uh, yeah, um, you know, all of a sudden I started to realize, like my humanness, my fallibility, my fears, my pains. All of a sudden, I felt like I couldn't share them with anybody because those would be a reflection on the ministry. It would be a reflection on me because. And I, I, I'm tr- going to try and say this without like building myself up. People were telling me that the story of what was going on and what I had done, what I had done, quotes around that, um, had inspired them. And I was so scared to, and the fear rose up that if they saw who I truly was underneath, it would affect myself, the, their image of me and that inspiration would go down. Because with that inspiration came encouragement in their own walks with Christ. So, uh, and then they would, of course, look at the organization and and say, "Wow, maybe it's maybe this organization is isn't as strong as we thought it was," which then affects support, financial, prayer, the whole way to you know equipment, the the whole way down the line. So, I couldn't be me anymore, and that and that was a. It was it was a major difficulty, which then of course isolated me uh, from from everybody. So there's there's is so it fair story. to say, yeah,
2: yeah. Thank you, thank you for your hey. authenticity, just vulnerability and sharing this. Is it fair to say, Brian, that in a way, you equated your own your own identity with the organization oh. with this nonprofit that you were leading? Did they just become one and the same? Absolutely,
0: absolutely. And you know, we all have this insecure kind of thing inside of us that, you know, ideally, if if we're walking right, God fulfills that. But in my weakness, it was all these other things that were fulfilling this, that were, I should say, more taking the place of God. And not only that, you know, think about this. How many times were people asking me how I was doing? So somebody would legitimately say, hey, Brian, how are you doing? Number one, I would respond with how the organization's doing because that was easier than telling them, and it it, it laid all my fears of sharing who I really was with my struggles and on down that line, I just went down. But not only that, I believe now in looking back that people expected me to tell them how the organization was doing, not just how I was doing. And there might've been that rare occasion where somebody was trying to dig into seeing how I was doing personally, uh, set aside the organization, But I honestly believe most of the time I would respond that way. And that's the response that they expect.
2: Almost like a learned behavior.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It it really was. That's a good way of putting it. Yep. Mm
2: -hmm. Good. Well, thanks for letting me interject some of those things. But yeah, keep keep on. So tell us, yeah, things are sort of at their peak organizationally, but now we want to separate Brian from what was happening with the organization. Yeah. You know, tell us. Kind of what happened next?
0: Well, so the organization's doing really well, and um, nobody was really talking about any concerns about anything. It was all about growth. I was pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward, and I wanted to just keep impacting as many lives as we possibly could, and that, that was very satisfying for me. But again, it started to take the place of my actual relationship with God. And the things that he was satisfying, he was to satisfy and was to satisfy in my life. So um, again, I started to isolate. Um, I started to, I use the word speed bump. Um, I used, I started to speed bump other other people where people were genuinely reaching out, trying to help, trying to do this, trying to do that. But uh, I would speed bump them, and and when I uh, speed bumping somebody is, you know, a speed bump is there to to slow you down, to help you to be more cautious, uh, to help you be aware of your surroundings. That's what speed bumps do. And that's what these people were. They were a speed bump trying to do all these things, but I was blowing over them. And what happens when you blow over speed bumps too many times at a too high rate of speed, damage happens. So that's what happened. So I was isolating, and I I know uh, most of the leaders that, are, are, are listening to this, watching this, understand the isolation and the loneliness that comes along with leadership. Well, I went down a wrong road and I tried to fulfill that. And I had an emotional affair uh, with somebody that I had known for many years. Now, just to be clear, I, I've had people say, well, what does that mean? It means there was no physical relationship. It means it was just a, um, an emotional affair, talking on the phone, emails, texts, that kind of thing. But, um, I say all that and I don't say it to, to minimize it. I am not minimizing. It was totally inappropriate. So all these things came out and, um, you know, my wife had checked the phone records and it didn't, you know, so it didn't look good. So, uh, it did come out and what let, what, what happened was I was telling my board of directors about these issues and I knew the jig was up, you know, it was not pretty so we all got together and it was 11 of us in a small room and i told them what was going on and what had transpired over the previous i don't know what it was six months four months Um, and uh one of the board members of course they all of them their their jaws dropped because they they just couldn't believe this but there was one gentleman a former missionary who was on our board who looked at me and said You know, he did just like this. It's like he's sitting right in front of me. He just went, Brian, what part of what you described here today or, or, oh, now I, now I forget it. What, what uh, part of what you described here today was our part? What did we do to contribute to what you described here today? I don't know why I'm, blank in here.
2: No, that's yeah, clear. That, yeah. That, a lot of humility. Was, a lot of humility on the part of that board member. Yeah.
0: He said that. And this is a guy, he was probably in his sixties, a lot of wisdom, been on the mission field for years, a lot of wisdom. And you know what? I looked at him and I said, you know, I have no idea. I I never even thought about it. This is on me. I, I, I'm taking full responsibility. It's not your fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's not my church's fault. This is my own human weakness and, and I take responsibility for it. So that was kind of the end of it. Well, okay. But it stuck with me um, over the next couple of years. I continued to think about that and I continued to talk to other leaders that were struggling and I started to see other local leaders that ended up falling and and I'm seeing this happen. And I, so the point is this is what inspired me to write the book is I realized that this is a real problem, and there are things that, that they could have seen. Again, my responsibility, don't misunderstand me, but there are things that the community, that my family, that those closest to me, that my board of directors should have been looking out for and could have made a difference. Would I have listened? I really don't know. I, and there, I didn't get that opportunity, but that's what inspired the writing of The, the Courageous Ass. Wow. Well, I appreciate your courage, Brian,
2: sharing your story today, sharing your story in this in this book. And I do want to get to some of those things that, yeah, like you said, in that boardroom, in that moment, you weren't able to answer that question. But I think over time, as I understand your story, through reflection, through what the Lord was able to reveal to you, there've been some real um, just nuggets of truth, principles from God's word that have illuminated and you share those. But before we get into just some of even what you've learned and the counsel that you would have for other leaders, for boards, for communities, I don't want to move on too quickly from something else you said too, Brian, which is you talk about the humanity, the humanity of leaders and just being able to even hear your story. You know, I think all those who are listening, our heart would go out to you and the, the human Brian, the very human Brian that was experiencing all of those things. And even as we have these conversations around healthy leadership at ECFA, and I think we all recognize that this is a moment in our community where we've got to pay attention, we've got to be proactive, we need to be doing something, you know, to call us all to a high standard. At the same time, I think is so important that we don't lose sight of the fact of when we talk about this issue, we're talking about Real-life people, other humans, humans just like the rest of us. Can you talk about that a little bit, um, just in terms of the importance of as we're thinking about this issue, before we get to solutions, before we get to some of those things, the importance of remembering just humanity in the importance of this conversation. Um. Yeah.
0: Definitely. You know. First of all, we are. You know. You know what. You know what I found is that. Uh, you know, people always say that uh, uh, leaders are human just like us. But really, isn't that kind of an abstract idea until the leadership proves it? I mean, really, how many people really, really... Everybody believes that. But how many people can put that into action, that that humanness of, of the leader? Um, you know, we should be able to... Uh, Uh, to recognize uh, clearly especially especially as a Christian community I mean we've got a whole a whole Bible filled with you know how to get along with God Uh, I, I maybe didn't I didn't say that right but our relationship with God and our relationship with all the people around us but somehow we carve out this little little leadership thing that we kind of set that to the side sometimes um and and in the relationship i mean look we have we have scripture that you know iron sharpens irons we're to encourage one another we're to carry each other's burdens we're doesn't that apply to leaders too so i think we sometimes forget that and you know sometimes leaders are expected to be superhuman but we forget that there's no super without the human so
2: so, um, <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. You know,
0: there, there, are, there are, you know, leaders have the same um, fears, hurts, temptations that all of us do. Um, and I, I can't say that I don't struggle with it sometimes when I look at somebody and I'm disappointed in their fall. And then I recognize, then I think about the, the fall of humanity and, and the garden and, and all these things. Well, how are they any different than I am? And I think that was right at the very, very beginning, that was a source of bitterness for me, to be honest. Because I'm thinking why was that? Because I'm thinking I got this board of directors here that isn't reacting the way I wish they would. Do they think they're any different than I am? Now I can tell you that reconciliation has taken place. I've gone before the board years ago and, and you know, that's all is good. But I can tell you in the beginning, it was a piece of bitterness. Like who do you think you are? But that was my deluded way of thinking at that particular time. Um, so, uh, yeah, the humanness, uh, you know, it's, it, we cannot forget, uh, that they're just like us. Um, and that just like, just like the average board member or the community member, the, uh, uh, constituency, whatever it happens to be, we can fall too. And it's, it, it's so difficult and uh, i hope we're going to get into some more of that uh you know later on
2: yeah well not to little, mention right the bit. bible yeah not to mention the bible as we look at these examples of leaders you know that we even look up to so much from scripture <laughs> like they were so human
0: yeah they were so human yeah i think um oh, i forget his name said that you know there's not one leader in uh now i'm trying to think who it was um wasn't Paul Wash? It was I forget. It says find one leader other than Jesus Christ Himself in Scripture that hasn't been scarred. That isn't. I mean, that's why. That's why I believe God put all those into Scripture because it is the fall of of the human race, and we have to understand. And there's some comfort in that, and He He creates that comfort. Whether you're talking about David or Peter or or, or just we could just go on and on and on and on. But I believe God gave us that.
2: I think you're exactly right, Brian. There's one other. There's one other thing, and we are eager to get into some of your counsel around these specific areas and how really we all have a role to play. That's coming soon. the 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 other final kind of preliminary point I thought it was so brilliant in what you wrote is as uh, you talk about. I think a lot of times conversation tends to focus on the leaders that are very public, the ones that we maybe even hold on a higher pedestal in light of their, you know, popularity, whatever it may be, not that we should, but, you know, the ones that everybody knows about, I think you make such a great point too, that at the same time, those are the relatively few situations, but we have really, I think you use the words kind of a quiet falls, like those that are happening all the time, all around us, or the ones that maybe we don't even know about, realize it doesn't have to be this major crash and burn kind of scenario. There can be these quiet falls. It reminds me actually a lot of, you know, people today talk about quiet quitting or whatever it may be. So uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Why is that so heavy on your heart, this whole issue of
0: even quiet falls that many of us aren't aware of? Well, there, there's two things that you you brought up there that I'd like to address. Uh, one of them is we, all of us, everybody, um, listening to this podcast and watching this podcast can name a couple of major national falls. I mean, I could sit here and just reel them off. But where's the... I I believe that the biggest impact of these falls happens in local communities. It happens in the local, smaller nonprofits because people are more engaged with those people. I mean, we could talk about a Rabbi Zacharias and so many people were um, impacted by that. But how many people really knew Rabbi Zacharias? Whereas you, when you come down to the local communities, people are more invested in these, and the hurt goes so much deeper, I, I believe. And the numbers are so much bigger And people that are hurt by these small local things that are, are, are going on. I mean, but uh, anyway, so two things. We, we, cannot sit, we cannot push aside the smaller organizations and the smaller churches. That's one thing. And number two, the quiet fall. You know all leaders that come into their position are excited they're pumped up they have ideas they have thoughts they know they're going to go in a particular direction um they have met the staff and know what they're going to do with the staff who they can encourage i mean it's so it's so exciting but then one day they they look around and go where did everybody go okay and All of the problems and the issues of the organization or ministry are laid at their feet, and I hate to say it, but many times they're going like, "Where did the board go?" (laughs) The board has kind of handed it over, and and they they got to do what they got to do. So some get very discouraged, and they see that. Think about when I think of something like this, I think of like a rescue mission. Okay, you're in there. You're pumping yourself. You're pumping yourself. You're pumping everything you got into this into this ministry but you're asking yourself am I making a difference because some of these guys just keep coming and women keep coming back and keep so you get discouraged so um, sometimes that quiet fall is a person that's just kind of lost their motivation they've lost that direction their calling is teeter-tottering on just total discouragement and all of a sudden you know donor meetings are less frequent Um, The issues aren't dealt with, you know, in a a quick fashion or kind of put on the back burner to just get worse. Um, Creative and creativity and innovation are stifled. I mean, all these things are happening. So there hasn't been a big major outburst or emotional thing or big media represented uh, fall. But it might have the same impact. So there are a lot of those people out there and there are things that we can do about these things. So. The whole point is, it doesn't have to be some big national thing. It can be a local ministry, and it could be somebody that is still in their position, leading their organization, but not with the strength and the excitement that they had before, and innovation and creativity are gone, which stifles growth. That's right.
2: That's so insightful. That's a good word. I think it it is. It's actually a perfect setup to, you were just kind of ending there, Brian, with, but we can do something about it Um, there is something i so appreciate that that is the heart behind your message Um, what you've been sharing is that we can be proactive Uh, this isn't a situation where we just got to throw up our hands you know we got to accept defeat Um, there really is something that can be done when we're courageous when we're proactive and I think, Brian, you really break it down into, this is so helpful. I think you've separated into, there's three major groups, right? You've got the leader, you've got the board, and you've got the community. Did I get all those three oh, right? Yep, that's right. Okay, yeah, maybe just speak briefly. Yeah, yeah, maybe just pre- speak briefly to what are the responsibilities? What can each of these three groups practically do to help make a difference, to make leadership more healthy?
0: Well, uh, you know i definitely want to start with the leader because ultimately they're accountable they're accountable i mean it really comes back to them no matter what the the world is doing around them their relationship with christ has to be a number 1 so it really starts with the leader all the other ones are helps all all, all the other all the uh, the, the board the uh, community they all can do a lot to help this this leader identify guide them direct them um, keep them on the path, but it ultimately comes back to the leader. So, you know, making sure your identity in Christ and you're, you're humble. And, you know, when you're in that kind of going down that loneliness, isolation kind of path, um, you get a little deluded and you try to satisfy those things. Come on, we've all lived on that edge. I mean, you have, I definitely have, and I went over it, But but we all live on that spot of just, I've been struggling for weeks, and I just want something to make me feel good about what I'm doing. Uh, but uh, those things that got you there—so uh, identity in Christ—but number two is maintaining those things that got you there. It's usually strength of a family. It's definitely your uh, spiritual disciplines. I mean, think about what happens as a as a Christian nonprofit leader. Um, you're out there promoting the ministry. You're going from church to church, to from group to group. All of a sudden, for me, I all of a sudden, barely had a home church. So the spiritual discipline about being involved in my own church, it kind of fell by the wayside because I was promoting. I was doing a good thing. I was doing a good thing for the body of Christ. But for me, I was that was part of losing my identity. All of a sudden, there were nobody could say, "Well, where's Brian? Oh, he's probably speaking again." Oh, oh, oh! I'm telling you, just pull back because if you're not healthy, if your leadership's not healthy, you're going to have nothing to lead and it's going to be very weak at, at best. Um, so family, I, you remember I said about uh, how all those things that kind of got me there to be used by God, they became, a, they became part of the peripheral vision of my main focus of uh, building the ministry. Well, before before I was called, they were the main focus, and that's what got me there. So um, that also adds up to an indicator for the people around you. If they see those priorities shifting, somebody needs to be courageous and say, raise their hand and say something. Um, as far as the board, okay, we move on to the board. Um, solidify the board. How many? How many boards? Um, Boards of directors could be whatever it is in a church. You know what I mean? The accountability structure. Um, How many boards are so wrapped up in their own drama and their own function that they lose sight of what they're supposed to be focused on? I mean, whether it's board recruitment, uh, board uh, onboarding, which is very weak. Statistics show that onboarding is very weak no matter what kind of board you're looking at. Um... But they get stuck in their own drama, the parking lot conversations and the, and the, the she said, he said, and the unwritten rules of running a board meeting and, and all these different things. They're stuck in their own drama and they lose sight of what's really important. So solidifying the board. Um, t- a board should take the job description beyond facts and figures and KPIs and bring in the humanness of their leader. These are Christian organizations. So we we have to keep that in mind, okay? We are supposed to be watching out for each other, and that that includes the board CEO relationship. Um, so that gets sticky, okay? There are there are board members right now that are watching this that are going, whoa, 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 the life, the personal life of our CEO is off limits. Well, guess what, Mr. Board Member, Mrs. Board Member, those leadership falls are going to fall in your lap. And most of them happen in the personal life of your leader. So we need to elevate that. And that's one of my purposes in my life is just to elevate that conversation, uh, because you don't want to have to go through that. Um,
2: and I think you make the point too, Brian, that's so wise that ultimately it, it is the board's responsibility and in uh, governance in a Christ-centered context, it should look different. Uh, But even on another practical point, Brian, I know I've heard you say before, even when you're looking to onboard that new leader, the new executive director, CEO, senior pastor, whatever the title may be, you ask questions of that leader that go beyond the job description. You, at an appropriate level, you know, you talk about their character, you talk about those things. So why is it that all of a sudden, when a leader puts that hat on, all of a sudden those things become Taboo, or we can't talk about oh, it. Oh,
0: yeah, you're reading right out of my book. That I, yeah, I talk about if, if, uh, if we were going to just hire people based on job descriptions and resumes, why do we have interviews? Interviews uh, are there to, to, uh, determine fight. how can, how have they played out? How is their character played out the things we see on the resume? Are they going to be able to maintain or create a culture that we desire as a board? You don't get those things from a, a resume, but it's like you just said. We drop it after they're hired. So uh, now there's an appropriate amount of involvement and engagement in the personal life of a, of a leader. This isn't getting down into the, you know, well, I could just give example after example. But there is an appropriate level. Um, and, I, and I can't get past go beyond the board without just talking about simple engagement. If a board is properly engaged in in an organization and at least... Their management and governance of that organization, even just it could just even be showing up for events. They are going to see that some that things are going well or that the leader is struggling. They're going to see it in the natural course of doing business, but they have got to be engaged. And that's something, honestly, that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, just a board board engagement in an organization, but I take it further, of course, and in, and push that into the life of the of their executive.
2: No, I think that's right. That probably is a whole nother podcast that we would do. You know, and we have some ideas about that at ECFA. And I know every organization, we wouldn't be overly prescriptive about what that looks like. We have some ideas about how boards can be appropriately engaged with the leader. I think we're learning a lot as we're having conversations just like these. But Brian, if you were to just say kind of one thing or give one tip, one advice... (laughs) Four boards on how how do they determine coming back to what you just said, which is the appropriate level of engagement? Do you have a filter? Do you have a framework? Um, how should they think through what is an appropriate level within our organization, within our context? Do you have just one or two things you'd say?
0: Well, it really depends on if you're uh, if you're starting new with a leader. If you're hiring a leader, that's a whole different ballgame because you've already set the you've already set the table for what. Uh, what your expectations of relationship are in in that interview process. Um, but a board um, needs to determine, each individual board has to determine that. Every board is different. The, the ins and outs of an organization are different. How old is the organization? Are they new? Is this a founder? I mean, there are so many um, different uh, things that, you know, come into that decision. But what it really comes down to, uh, Michael, is... A leader needs to know that a board is for them. They're not, they're not for just the financial report, just the growth report, just the, you know, whatever report we're going to talk about, whatever parameter a board uses. And that's, that is a major problem in our organizations today because the leader thinks that if they deliver on those financial reports, on, you know, whatever report it might be, That's important to that particular organization they're good that is so short-sighted that that is what's causing a lot of these issues is because i could i could present a report that looks great for the organization and in fact our organization's reports looked great i mean we were we were we were kicking it god was blessing us tremendously but i inside was i was dying so each board really has to, and in my book, I kind of do break down a, a couple of different things that that, that they should do um, in order to determine within their organization what is an appropriate level. And another thing, Michael, if a if a if a, a leader, if an executive, bulks at it, you've got a problem. If if they are going to hide, because that's an indicator, because you have got a leader that. Uh, sometimes lacks humility, um, is capable of hiding something. Which happens in almost every one of these It happened with me. Um, that's an indicator. Um, you know, I, I often say that there should on, on both sides, the leader and the board, uh, they, there should be someone on that board that has a higher level of relationship. It's not going to be the whole board it should have a higher level of relationship with that leader. And the leader should allow that. I often would say to my wife, you know, we probably have fifty churches within ten miles of us. If we can't find the uh, a right church that appeals to us and preaches the word of God and all the things that we want in a church, the problem is probably us.
2: So <laughs> humility, yet again, so, yeah. it shows. Yes, yeah, so, in your comments, yeah, yeah.
0: So if 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 a leader can't get along with or have a higher level of relationship with two or three members of a 10 to 15 person board, the leader has got to be introspective and and take a look at that.
2: I would offer another practical pointer just in how we've seen this be successful in other organizations that we look at. You made a really key point, Brian, that boards uh, need to be sure that the message comes across that they care for the leader. And I think where we've seen this be successful, Brian, I don't know if you'd have kind of your two cents on this too, but I think in environments where this is is healthy, you know, even taking it to the level of a a board and organization have a written plan to support a leader's integrity that really the most effective, it seems like, is when the leader has the opportunity to take initiative and communicate, hey, these are my integrity commitments. These are the areas where I need a level of care, a level of support based on the individual leader's needs. I think it's either that leader initiating some of that conversation or the board, like you said, if there's a board member who's in tune with this, going to a leader and inviting the leader to take initiative, as opposed to a posture that might look like the board sort of telling the leader, you know, this is what's happening. Here's what you're going to do. We are now going to have know, a good relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't you think, though? I mean, it seems like, I mean, it needs to be collaborative, but I think there's a big part in this where the board needs to empower a leader to be able to come
0: forward and at least take some of those first steps. I will tell you that I know that most of the leaders, maybe not board members, but most of the leaders that are listening to this and watching this are dying for this. They yes, I would agree. dying for this freedom to be at least to a few people. I mean, um, Tim Keller in in his book, The Meaning, for Marri- Meaning of Marriage, said that uh, one of our deepest needs is to uh, be fully known, but still be loved. And leaders are dying for that. And it, it, they don't want to be isolated. They don't want to feel lonely. So if a board member, I know I had one board board tell me that they have a person on their board or or a leader told me this. That a, that a board member came to them and said, look, I can't offer technical insight. I know very little about what this ministry does. I, I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I'm not any of this. But what I want to be on this board is your soul care person. I mean, that that's fact. I, I've i been told that. And and uh, this person, the, the leader said, you know, it was so refreshing that somebody cared about me and not just the organization. So anyway. I think that's good. I think it's beautiful. Actually, when you
2: think about as a body of Christ, Mm -hmm. we all exercise different gifts, you know, so we shouldn't even expect that on a board, every person's going to wear the financial hat. Every person's going to wear the legal hat. Every person's going to wear the, I don't know. You know, you think of the stereotypes. That's right. Of what the board should be. But there are people who, Brian, I think it is, it's their spiritual gift to be encouragers, to come alongside, to have that kind of relationship where they can be looking out for the leader as a brother, as a sister in Christ.
0: Yeah. I mean, one problem is that most boards, Michael, don't really think about this a whole lot. I mean, if you if you search board responsibilities right now on your computer, you'll find that most organizations or most most recommendations don't include much about the care of the leader. I mean, board source says very briefly on on their on their recommendations they they say the care of the leader but they don't go deep into that that it's just kind of you know one of their responsibilities and that's that's the best i can find when you look at major organizations that are saying these are board responsibilities so it's not this is one of my points that's the point of the book let's start this conversation It's it's a it's a bigger deal. I mean, I I ask people, Michael, and I know I'm going a little maybe off topic, but what would a board rather have at the end of the year: a 20% shortcoming on their budget, or an ugly public fall of their their leader? What is more important? Everybody knows the answer to that, but yet, what do we focus on that 20%? Because the other part is sticky. It's uncomfortable. It's uh, full of fear and lacks courage, or however you want to put that. Anyway, I went off topic there a little bit. Sorry, Michael. <laughs>
2: no, it's it's right on. I think that puts it in perspective. You know, past guest that makes me think, Brian, what you just said, past guest on the podcast, Steve Machia, uh, who's with uh, an ECFA member organization, a leader, he's really spoken into this topic too, even in something ECFA has published in one of our lessons from the boardroom. And we give at least, I just mentioned this, it's a resource, we'll link it in our in our show notes, but it at least gives a starting point, you know, for a board to be, like you said, actually mindful of these things. What are at least some beginning questions you could start to ask? And so you're right, there's not a lot of tools, there's not a lot of resources that are out there. That's one for me, CFA, and I know this is one that we're really committed to continue to invest in this whole area because leaders need it. Certainly, um, and yeah, boards need the
0: help in order to be helpful. That's for sure. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And uh, the board is a is a big chunk of that. Again, it always comes back to the leader, but you also have a community out there um, that's that's all around. You know, that leader that that can impact the board, can impact the leader um, in in a lot of different ways. Um, again, recognizing the the, the leader's humanness. Reasonable expectations, you know, a couple of years ago I went to, uh, this is before I wrote the book, it's actually in the book, I went to a a church service on an Easter, I think my my wife's a nurse, so she was working, so I'm by myself, I went with a friend, so I nabbed there in another town, and I I nabbed their their bulletin, and in that bulletin on the very first page it says, Pastor such and such is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for any of this, 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 and here's his home phone number. Sounds good at first, right? Yeah, at first, I, you know, I'm, I'm, re- I'm reading it and I'm going, wow, I'm impressed by this guy. But then I start to think, who wrote this? Did he write right. this? Did somebody else, did a member of his board write this? Did, on down the road. And I start to, if I wasn't like in this topic, I would I would think, wow, that's pretty impressive. And, you know, I went and I, I interviewed this guy and he said, yeah, that's, that's the expectation. He said, but you know what? I knew that coming in. And this was an older generation guy. But he also mm-hmm. went down the line of how the younger, um, the people just coming into the ministry are now putting parameters on, on their time. And he respects that. and He wished he would have done it a long time ago. But the point is the, commu- the community um, expectations. And, and one last point about the community friendship be their friend don't just you know actually it was the same pastor that said you know they won't invite me to their July 4th uh, they'll talk about their July 4th picnic they'll talk about their Memorial Day picnic right in front of me but they won't invite me he said because that changes the uh, the conversations that they can have you know it, it just changes so be be their friends you know um, church churchleadership.org says that 58% of pastors and Christian leaders say they don't have one true honest friend. Say that again. Churchleadership.org says that 58% of pastors and church or excuse me and Christian leaders do not have one honest, true friend. And that, that is so green. And 27% of them also say They have nobody to turn to if they have a crisis in their life. That is sobering. You're exactly right. So that's something that the community can do. I know I talked to somebody one time that said their parents, one of their ministries was because they moved around a lot. It had to do with um, work or vocation or something. They said when they would go to their town, they would pick a church. Their ministry was to just be the friend of the pastor. That Just was, be the friend. That yep. was that was it because they realized how lonely and isolating that is, and they would go to a, a new town. They would find a church, and they would that would be their ministry. In the church was to befriend the pastor. I I thought that was amazing, amazing insight from those folks that that they really need that because unless you're a leader, you don't necessarily realize it a lot of times. So anyway. You've given us some good homework, Brian.
2: <laughs> in addition to a number of things, I think we all walk away and say, God, prayerfully, you know, we can't we can't do it all. We can't befriend everyone. But who is, who is somebody, you know, that God might put on our hearts in our lives to simply be their friend?
0: Let me tell you something. A simple text, a simple email. Hey, I'm thinking about you today. I want you to know I'm praying for you. When I was going through that state of delusion and just trying to get my own head on, you know... It was amazing how many times just people just pulled me back from the edge. Just a simple text. How are you doing today? You know, I talk about board engagement sometimes. Board engagement can just be responding to the mundane emails that a leader sends out. The monthly updates. Just respond. <laughs> just respond. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for this update. Yep. We're praying for you. That's it. A leader would you know, a lot of times their head would explode if they got a couple of those back.
2: Good, very good. Well, yeah, um, we've covered a lot of ground. There's so much good good stuff in the the Courageous Ask. Your website, uh, com. I encourage folks to, to take advantage of that. Maybe ask you in a minute about some of the tools that are out there, but I think just as a final word, Brian, um, you embody this, you embody courage in the story you've told, your obedience to the Lord, to to get this message out there. But all of us who care about this issue, we must find courage. You talk about the courageous ask. Uh, talk about that. W- encourage us <laughs> to have the courage that we need, whether we're the leader, whether we're the board, whether the, we're, we're the community.
0: Yep. Why is courage so critical? Well, I'll tell you one of the, one of the reasons, I, I go through kind of a long introduction in the book, and that entered the long introduction to the book i talk about the leader the board i talk about human nature i talk about some of these things and you know what you know why i built that big long foundation in the book i want leaders to know you are not crazy feeling the way you feel every leader is feeling that way you know so many times we have these um these uh, uh, groups that get together of pastors or Christian leaders or whatever, and they're supposed to be there to build each other up and to help each other through struggles and difficulties and even best practices or or whatever. But I've I've had pastors tell me through tears that they go to these meetings and all people talk about are the successes in their ministries. They don't talk about So the point is, be humble. Okay, no, you're not crazy. No, I had another... I was on another podcast one time, and it was the John Rennie podcast, I'll tell you. And he told me this story how he and a couple business leaders got together. It was actually a banquet or something. And a leader came up to him and was talking to him. They were just having conversation. And the leader looked at him and said, uh, owner of a company said, you know, I've really been struggling with depression. Said this to John. And uh, John responded with that he, his struggling with the same thing and the one thing that was relayed to me was by this other person talking about their struggles they gave permission for other people to share that with them and that is so important to show vulnerability to other leaders in your community or on the board or or whatever because that gives them permission to open up in the freedom I mean and it just takes a burden off your shoulders when you can lay that out and with a, with another brother or sister so i would encourage people to have that courage to be vulnerable with the people around them and the leaders around them and form groups that are real not groups just to go and talk about your successes but be real because you want to give permission to other people to open that up so maybe we all have that courage
2: you're right it's not even just even if you can't do it for yourself think about with with your you know your courageous act could inspire someone else to find freedom. I think that that is powerful. Well, quickly, Brian, I know we were able to only kind of scratch the surface. That's a thing. I don't know, whatever analogy it is that you want to use, this is the tip of the iceberg. What other tools, what other resources do you have uh, for those that want to learn more, and how can they continue to follow you and stay in touch?
0: Well, as you mentioned, I have a a website that I have a lot of blog articles on there. It's uh, 70-some of them at this point. I talk about various topics, um, but that's uh, briankrieger.com, uh, B-R-I-A-N-K-R-E-E-G-E-R.com. Uh, my email address, just drop me an email. You want to talk about some of these topics or you need some encouragement or whatever you might need, uh, brian at com, Or, uh, you know, you, there's there's a way to contact me on my website. Uh, I'd love to talk to you. This is a conversation that we have got to get going. Um, And I speak at various conferences and this and that. So, um, you know, just contact me. Let's talk about it. Let's get this conversation going. Very good. Well,
2: appreciate that so much, Brian. Yeah, you make it easy. You make it easy for people... (laughs) to be in touch with you. I know I've appreciated personally just being yeah, in touch with you and you are an encouragement to me. So all right. thanks for all that you do and just keep up the good work, my friend. All right. Thank you
0: so much for this opportunity, Michael.
1: Thank you so much to Brian for sharing his story and distilling down all that wisdom in his book, The Courageous Ask. Make sure to head over to briankrieger.com to check out how to contact him and get a copy of the book there. Hey, we can't thank you enough for listening to the ECFA Behind the Seal podcast. Hey, we really appreciate any reviews on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, and share this with a friend. Hey, and look in the show notes for the lessons from the nonprofit boardroom that Michael mentioned in this episode as well. Have a
0: good week. We'll see you later.